principality, every power that would cause hindrance to what you want to do in this house. God, I come against every spirit that is not of you. God, that would cause to si- that would try to silence the church of the living God. Take dominion and authority in this house and in our lives right now in the name of Jesus. Now somebody clap your hands and give him glory and praise. Come on, somebody give him adoration tonight. You may be seated. Lucas Oil Stadium, or what has been dubbed the house that Peyton built. It was so dubbed to pay homage to Peyton Manning for putting professional football in the state of Indiana on the map. You see, construction built began rather in September of 2005, and it ended in August of 2008. It has a 4.5-acre retractable roof that allows the sun in in nice weather in the harsh winter and weather conditions out. With its 1.8 million square feet, the house that Peyton built has seating for nearly 70,000 people. Built with a meager price tag of $720 million, Peyton's house has, hope, has hosted Super Bowl 46, and let me say where the dreaded New England Patriots <laughs> fell to the New York Giants, as well as to countless professional and amateur sporting events over the past 10 years. It is a... Thank you. It is a magnificent, magnificent structure that was constructed, constructed rather to the idolatry of professional sports. Millions gather year after year to worship athletes and music artists. But in 2017, in August, some 35,000 apostolic young people from all across the globe invaded the house that Peyton built for three days. And for three days, Lucas Oil Stadium became the house of God. Listen to me. Wherever the Spirit of God dwells, that place is the house of God. The Bible says that He inhabits the praises of His people. And wherever we choose to gather in worship and praise unto God. That is where he will show up. And wherever he shows up, that place becomes his house. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And all things are subject to him. The enemy has to flee when God shows up. Idols erected to unknown gods fall to the ground under the power and the authority of an almighty God. Tonight, I know that we are in the house of God because I feel him in this place. And wherever he is. That is his house. I don't know about you tonight, but I'm thankful and I love the house of God. You see, God's house is a place where people experience him. We need to embrace a consuming zeal 
for the love and love for God's house and what takes place in His house. It's, not, it's one thing to just have a love for God, but it's a completely other thing to fall in love with what happens in this house. The key to understanding the history of God's house is that it has always been a place where God meets with people and where people meet with God. There is an unmistakable progression in the physical aspects of God's house, both in Scripture and in history. It began with impromptu meeting places and quickly erected altars. Then 1,400 years before Christ, God told Moses to construct a tabernacle. Less than 500 years later, David began to gather materials for another house. His son Solomon took over and built a building that in today's money would have been worth approximately $4 billion. Lucas Oil Stadium. $720 $720 But the tabernacle was worth some $4 billion. So elaborate was this structure that queens swooned at its very appearance. The temple was torn down at the hands of foreign invaders just a few centuries later and then rebuilt in the times of a man called Zerubbabel. Herod restored and enlarged it just uh, before Jesus. And in 70 A.D., the temple was torn to the ground by the Romans. Not one stone, the Bible says, was left on top of another. But it did not matter because something new was about to take place in history. The day of Pentecost produced 120 Holy Ghost filled followers of Jesus who received and doing power in an upper room just down the road from the temple. They met from house to house for two centuries. They were forced into the catacombs of Rome, underground tunnels that provided Provided a secret place for them to worship. No carpet. No padded pews. No air conditioning to make their worship experience any more comfortable. But they worship in secret and under the cover of darkness. But to them, those tunnels and those secret places were the house of God. Eventually, in Scripture, cathedrals were built. In modern day, we have seen God's house represented in storefronts, sanctuaries both big and small, gymnasiums, football stadiums, hotel conference centers, and karate dojos. This vast diversity in the physical appearance and structure of God's house over three and a half millennia indicates this simple timeless truth. Wherever God's people make practice of gathering for worship and instruction and encouragement, that is the house of God. I don't care whether it's in a building. I don't care if it's in a karate dojo. I don't care if it's in a pole barn on the back 40 somewhere. Wherever that we can come and gather and meet with God and He can meet with us, that is the house of God. 
Buildings come and go. Buildings are built and they're torn down. It's not what makes the church the church. But what makes the church the church is the indwelling of the Spirit and the presence of Almighty God. That's why it's imperative that when we come into this building, service after service, week after week, month after month, and year after year, that we worship and that we praise because He inhabits those praises. And it's not until that God comes and dwells in this place that that is the house of God. Soon... Soon and very soon. The lights will go out in this building. These lights that are hung here will come down. This pulpit will be moved out. These chairs will be gone. This PA system will no longer be here. We'll move across town to a new house of worship. But listen... It's more, Scotty, than just going to that building that is so beautiful and is such a, 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 a beautiful, um, beautiful place, a beautiful structure. The beauty doesn't make it the house of God. But when we leave, when the lights go out here and the door's locked and everything's moved in, and before we ever have a first service in that place, we better make sure that the presence of God is in that house. Because it is not the house of God until the presence of the Lord dwells and resides in that building. Don't get caught up in the building. Don't get caught up in the lights. Don't get caught up in the air, the air conditioning and thank God the heating. Don't get caught up in that because that has nothing to do with the church of the living God. We can have the most beautiful building. We can have the, the most comfortable pews or chairs to sit on. We can have the best PA system. But if we don't have the presence and the power and the authority and the dominion of Jesus Christ, it will never be a house of God. Genesis 28 and 17 records, our text records the response of Jacob to an experience with God that left him forever changed. His character and his destiny were forever altered by the power of God. He said of that place where God met him while fleeing from his failures, he said it like this in verse number 17 of Genesis 28. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate to heaven. You see, dreadful in the original Hebrew was also meaning to stand in awe of. To be held in awe or to fear, to reverence, to honor, and to respect. The King, New King James Version says it like this, and he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and it is the gate to heaven. When we come into this place, 
We ought to have a reverence for the house of God. We ought to know how to conduct ourselves in the house of God. We ought to act a certain way in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why, parents, we don't let our kids tear up the house of God. It's a holy place. It's not just a building that has a lot of room for running. My kids included. It's the house of God. It's services like this tonight where God swept into this place in a powerful way. And we felt the mighty unction of the Holy Ghost. And lives were touched. And people were touched. And healings, I believe, are going to take place with what happened here tonight. That is what makes this the house of God. That lets me know that God is in the house. And if God is in the house, whether it's this building or the building across town, whether it's a karate dojo or a hotel conference center, wherever the Lord is, that is the house of God. I wonder, I wonder what would happen in this place tonight. What would happen to this church? What kind of transformation would take place if we were to recognize the awesome and the wonder of this house? I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the structure, brother, newcomer. I'm talking about the awesomeness of who dwells in this house. Who resides in this house. What kind of an encounter would we have if we were to echo the writer of Genesis and say, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gateway to heaven in our families and in our community. You can't make it without the church. I've heard those that say, I don't need the church. I don't need to come. My church attendance is not important. And I say, that's hogwash. You cannot be saved without the church. You can say, well, I'll pray at home. I'll watch, I'll watch a TV evangelist, and I'll pay my tithes there, and I'll be good. But my Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, even the more as you see the day approaching. You cannot make it without the church. When we are in this place, and we are facing circumstances, and we're facing hardships, and we don't know where to turn, I gain strength from my brothers and I gain strength from my sisters that will only happen in the house of God you can't make it I can't make it without my church and let me go a step further I don't want to try to make it without the church I don't want to try to raise my family without the church. I don't want to, I don't want to try to raise these boys that God blessed me with. 
without the church. I want to instill in him a love for the church. I want him to know that this is a holy place. I want him to know there's ways that we act in the house of God. There are things that we do and there are things that we don't do. This is a holy place that ought to be reverence. I, I, I don't want him to, I don't want my kids to come to this place just thinking it's a building that we can do whatever we want. We can just, we can turn out the lights and we can play bingo or whatever. That, that's not what I'm talking about. This is a church. This is the house of God. This is a place to be reverence. And I gotta realize that this place place is a place that I cannot live without. That's why, that's why in my house, I'm not patting myself on the back, and I'm not pointing finger at anybody else. That's why in my house, I teach my boys the importance of, the, of going to church. We don't miss church. Yeah, sometimes we go on vacation and, and you miss a service here. That's, that's fine. Everybody deserves a, a, a day away, a week away. That's, I'm not talking about that. But my boys know that with the lights are on at the church and the door's unlocked and there's a service going on, unless we're sick, unless we're on vacation, unless there is some other kind of calamity, we're going to be in the house of the Lord. And let me go a step further. They're not going to learn that on their own. They're not going to learn the importance of the house of God on their own. We can't leave it up to someone else to tell them. But us moms and dads and even some grandmas and grandpas and some elders... I need some amens for some elders tonight that we've got to teach our children. We've got to teach this generation the importance of the house of God and being in the house of God every time the doors are open because if they're in this house, they're not going to experience the things of the world. Well, they have to go to school and they're going to experience things of the world anyway. Yeah, yeah, they are. Unfortunately, they are. But listen, I'm going to do everything within my power to combat what happens outside of this place. I'm going to do everything in my power to let them know it's not about what happens outside of this house. What happens outside of the house of God is not what's important in our life, but our very lives have got to revolve around the church. Our very lives have got to revolve around the house of God and the things of God because we can't make it without Him. We can't make it without this place. We can't make it without a place to come to worship and to meet with Almighty God. in this church all my life. This church has a special place in my heart. This my, my life has been profoundly impacted and my life's course has been charted in this house of God. It was here it was here I received the Holy Ghost. In this very building, about where Sister Paul is sitting, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. I was baptized in Jesus' name in pastor's office. It's not there now. Old school. 
Some of you were baptized back here. Baptized right over there where my sins were remitted. Went down in water baptism. God called me to the ministry at this very altar. I'll never forget it. 18 years of age, struggling with what I was going to do. Going to Bible school thinking that drums were the most important thing in my life. They were. Chicks digged it. No, I'm just I'm joking. I'm I'm kidding. Just kidding. No, it's a joke. Joke. But listen, at 18 years of age, I was standing right about here when a visiting minister, when I was struggling on the inside. God, what am I supposed to do? God, I got a decision to make. What am I gonna, what am I gonna do? And I'll never, among other words that he spoke to me when he came up and laid hands on me, and he whispered into my ear, to whom much is given, much is required. My children were dedicated here. I helped pray Aiden through to the Holy Ghost right here in this altar. And I was privileged to bury him in the name of Jesus here in this building. My life has been changed and transformed in the house of God. Paul wrote concerning the house of God in 1 Timothy 3. In our text, these things I write unto you, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. He pauses and say that you only find truth in the house of God. You'll find revelation in the house of God. You will find everything that you need in the house of God. We ought not to have to go outside this place looking for something. Brother Duggar, I'll never forget it. Just a few years ago, when Brother Duggar told Pastor, he said, Pastor, I want to tell you something that God told me. He said, what is that? He said, everything that you need, you'll find within the four walls of the church. And I thought, how profoundly true that statement is. I found out in my short life, I've gone outside of this place looking for things. I thought that I had to leave the church to find some happiness in my life, but only to come around full circle and find out the greatest joys of my life have been found in this house. That the greatest, the greatest things in my life are within the four walls of this church. My closest friends I found in the church. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having friends outside the church. I have them. I have them. Let me tell you something, though. I'm not going to take advice from them. I'm not going to take advice on how to live my life from somebody outside of the church. Come on, that ought to get a big amen. 
I'm not going to take advice on how to conduct myself from someone that is not in the church, someone that is not have God's hand upon their life. Let me go a step further. I didn't have to go outside the church to find my mate. Oh, I got quiet. That's all right. Listen, our young people ought not have to go outside of the church to find somebody to date. I believe my Bible says, be not unequally yoked together. You know what that means? Don't yoke yourself. Don't, don't bind yourself with someone that doesn't believe like you believe. Someone who goes to a church that doesn't teach what your church believes. Someone who goes to a church that does not preach the truth, does not preach about the mighty God in Christ. A church that believes that you don't have to have the Holy Ghost to go to heaven. Don't link yourself up with someone who is not in the church. I'm proud of some of these guys hadn't gone outside the church to find what they were looking for. Talking about the house of God. A place where you can be ministered to. A place where you can find life and breath. Psalms 122 and 1. David said it like this. I was glad. Anybody want to finish it? I was glad. was glad. One translation says it like this. Let us go up to the place where God dwells. Listen, God is omnipresent. On one level, God is everywhere at the same time. Psalm 139.8, David said, if I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. He is omnipresent. There's not a place that we can go to escape God. I can't escape God. There's not a place that I can go that He is not there. But on another level, God has always had places that He likes to dwell that mean more to Him than anywhere else. Every time that we come into this building to corporately worship, We enter into His holy dwelling place. Listen, this building is more than a metal structure. It's more than a concrete or a tile floor. It's more than carpet. It's more than pews. It's more than lights and PA systems. This is the place that God has divinely ordained and anointed to meet with and transform your life. And tonight, God is looking for somebody to embrace His house and to say that this place and the God that dwells in it it are going to become my soul existence. There is no replacement for the house of God. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. I'm quickly drawn to a close. Sad to say, but in this day, church has become a show. Tickle my ears, Pastor. Come on, praise team, sing my song. If you'll sing my song, I'll dance with you. 
If you sing that song one more time, I'll, I'll run the aisles. It has become a theatrical performance. People come in and they take their seats and they observe. They come and they hope that they get something that they deem to be worth their time. But tonight, I'm trying my best to get somebody to realize that the church is not a spectator sport. Coming to church is not a spectator. You can come and you can warm a pew. You can sit there and you, can't, and you cannot worship if you want to. But I want to call somebody in this place to understand that God is seeking such that would worship Him in His house. God wants to move in His house. Who will let Him? I want a revival church. Then I got to be revivalist. If I want the miraculous to happen in this place, I've got to prepare myself for what God wants to do. That is why we're going through a season of prayer and fasting. And listen, I hope that 2018 is a year that we don't just go through the awakening and then long about July, June, July, that we just go back to church as normal. I pray and I speak it into the atmosphere under the unction of the Holy Ghost that 2018 will be a year of change where somebody decides to make up in their mind, I'm not going back. Uh, this, this church is not going back to dead, dry religion, but we're going to be a church that God dwells. We're going to be a church that every time that we come into this place, we lift, we leap for joy, we dance before the Lord, we lift our hands, we clap our hands, we lift our voice because we want God. God to dwell in this house. It is not the physical building that makes the house of God so wonderful and so valuable, but it is what goes on inside of the house. I've been to magnificent buildings. Constructed so as to impress all who come with their beauty and their splendor. Only to experience dead, dry church. And if you haven't got it yet, I don't like dead, dry church. But yet on the other hand, I've been to churches whose building was in need of repair. I've been to church in storefronts where the air conditioner didn't work right and the PA system didn't work right and, and the walls were scuffed because there were kids that, that didn't know any better that were, that were running and, 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 and beating on the walls and tearing up the paint. They were packed shoulder to shoulder. The carpet was worn out and the paint needed to touch up. But let me tell you, God was in the house. Listen, I don't care how big and beautiful the building is. If God is not in it, then I don't want it. 
I don't care if it's put together just so and so, but if the power and the presence of Almighty God is not in the house, then it is not the house of God. You might as well clear it out and make it a bingo parlor. Talking about it being the house of God. There is no replacement for the house of God. There is no replacement. We must understand that what makes the church so valuable is what goes on inside this building on a night like tonight. We can have the most beautiful building in the world, and we do. We're building a beautiful building. I'm so thankful, and I'm so thankful to the men and women that are dedicating your time. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for helping us build this this new building that we're so in need of. But if we don't, have the moving and the following of the Holy Ghost. We don't have anything more than an empty building. We don't have anything more than just an earthly structure. But God has to be in the house to make it the house of God. And I believe that I'm in a church that wants to make this place and the place across town the house of God or you wouldn't be here tonight. You wouldn't worship like you worship tonight. You wouldn't do the things that you do if you didn't want it. And I want to say thank you. I love you. I love the house of God. And I'm glad that I get to serve with you. Because it's what you do. The sacrifices that you make that makes this the house of God. Psalm 69 and 5. O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. You see, when we come to church, we must expose our hearts. Our sin cannot remain hidden when we begin to truly and to honestly seek God in His own house. Conviction is not always a comfortable thing. Can I get an amen? It shouldn't always feel good to come to church. It doesn't always feel good to come to church when we sit and and God, through His Word, begins to rightly divide us and to cut things out that ought not be there. We can get mad and say, Preacher, you're preaching to me. Preacher, why are you doing that? Why are you saying those things? But I'm so thankful that I can come to a house of God and have God's Word preached into my life. And when I start to feel uncomfortable, I have to take a moment and I have to say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking those things out of my life. Thank you for opening my eyes to things that I didn't see, to things I didn't know. Because... 
I don't want anything to stand in my way from being used in the house of God. That's why God makes his house a place of merciful exposure. Not so that I'll be embarrassed and ashamed, but so that I can be forgiven and free. You see, a doctor doesn't sit down and put you on a 10-step program to a healthier life when you're eaten up with cancer. Rather, a doctor immediately puts together a treatment plan that will address the disease that is destroying your life. I can't, I can't pat you on the back tonight. Pastor can't pat you on the back and tell you that everything is okay when you're dying of cancer. There is only one thing worse than finding out that you have a terrible disease. And and that is not finding out because you didn't want to know that you needed treatment. I don't know about you, but if there is sin in my life, the first place that I want to be is in the house of God so that God can send an anointed surgeon to cut me open with His Word and begin to cut away those things that are keeping me from being in right relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords because above everything else in my life, I want to be saved. is no other option. I'm closing tonight. The music would come. The first semi-permanent house of God was the tabernacle in the wilderness. It was elaborately designed and constructed on the inside. However, from the outside, no one would have considered it a work of beauty. You see, the outside was covered with goat's hair, ram skins, and badger hides. The crown outside of the tabernacle was stained with the blood and the filth of sheeps and goats who were sacrificed. How would you like to attend a church like that? How would you like to wade through the blood and filth to get to church on a Sunday morning? You see, it was only those that worshipped within. It was only those people that ever saw the fine linen dyed blue, purple, and scarlet. Only those worshiping within the walls of the tabernacle observed the brazen laver polished to the point that it provided a reflection of who they were as they came into the house of God. It was a place of washing, a place of cleansing. Only those on the inside saw the the golden candlestick. Only those that entered until the holiest place of all observed the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim's wings spreading their wings on either side, 
of the mercy seat, the place where God met humanity. And only those worshiping within inhaled the sweet aroma of that worship. So it is with the house of God today. People may look at those of us who frequent this holy place. They may look at us with frustration or even ridicule. I've been ridiculed. No, you have. They may wonder why we insist on spending so much of our time and giving up so much of our energy and resources to make the church a reality. You see, all they see is the flesh outside. All they smell is what to them is the stink and stench of sacrifice. Those of us who who by the grace of God have made our way within this sanctuary, we see and smell something entirely different. Because God is moving on the inside of His house. They see the flesh, but we feel the Spirit. They smell the sacrifice, but we inhale the joy of worship. Because it is what happens on the inside of the house that makes it so wonderful and so valuable. That is why we ought not miss a single service lest we forever forget what it feels like and what it smells like. Lest we lose the memory of the goodness of God. There are some people passion for the presence of God. There are some people who love the place in which God's people gather. That's why David said it was that deep-rooted love. you got to understand because of David's family and curses by the top that they were forbidden to go to the temple and worship. Law said you can't go. And I don't, forgive me, I don't remember how many generations, Brother Brooks, but for generations and generations, David dad, David's dad never got to go into the temple to worship because of the sin of their forefathers. But David writes, I was glad when they said unto me, why would David do that? Was David longing? Was there something in David's heart that he was just speaking prophetically? No. David was the generation that broke the curse. Think about it. His dad couldn't go. His grandpa 
could not go. His great-grandpa was forbidden to go and worship in the temple. But it happened, so happened, to fall David's lot that years of cursing and years after not being able to go into the temple, it was David's generation that he was allowed to enter into the temple. He knew the importance. The house of God. He knew the privilege it was to be able to go into the temple to worship. That's why David said, I was so glad when they said unto me, not my dad, not my grandpa, but they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I believe that David took his family every chance that he got to the house of God because he realized the preciousness and the value of the house of God. He had a reverence. He had an awe for the house of God. And not only the building, but who dwelt in the house of God. David didn't say I was sad. He didn't say I was mad. He said I was glad. I was glad when they said unto me. Stand with me tonight got to take ownership in the house of God. We got to realize, as pastors preach so many times standing in this pulpit, if it's going to be, then it's up to me. I heard a, a, a startling statistic for the top of your, your you've heard this that this apostolic message that we love and that we preach is one generation away from extinction. This apostolic church that we love, we're so privileged to be a part of, it's just one generation away from not existing. All it will take is for one generation to drop the ball. All it will take is failing to teach one generation the importance of the house of God. And the church will cease to exist. So that's why it's important that we take ownership. Ownership in the kingdom is what is when you stop talking about the church and you stop talking about a church and you stop talking about the church and we start talking about my church. I said we start talking about my church because when you refer to it as my church, It's a sign that you've taken ownership in it. It's a sign that you care about what happens to it. 
It's like having your child. It's not a child. It's my child. I care what happens to my children. That's why I feed them. That's why I put clothes on their back. I put shoes on their feet. Because I care about these boys because they're mine. That's how I feel about the church. I want to make sure that we have the best church that we can possibly have. I, along with pastor, we want to make sure that our programs and our discipleship is just so because it's my church. I don't mean that I bled and died for it. I don't believe that I rule. I'm not saying that I rule over it, but I've taken ownership in my church. By saying it's my church, Taking that kind of ownership causes me to say that if the church is going to fail, it's not going to be on my watch. If the church declines, it's not going to be my watch. If the church is ever going to fall apart, then it will be over my dead body because I'll lay down my life if that is what I must do for the church. Anybody feel like that tonight? This is my church. No, I didn't die for it. Not Lord over it, but I'm saying that I buy into the vision and the mission of my pastor in my church. Because this is the church of the living God. This church is the only hope for the lost and dying world. So I feel like David when he said, zeal for your house has eaten me up. I'm sick with passion for the house of God. I'm consumed with the house of God. I'm obsessed with the church of the living. God, is there anybody in this place that loves the church? Come on, is there anybody that really loves the church? Is there anybody in this house that cares what happens to the church? Is anybody in this house taking ownership in your church and saying, I'm going to make it the best that I could possibly make it. I'll give my life if that's what I have to do. But I'm going to see that the church moves forward. Come on, who in this building, I'm calling you. Would you take that kind of ownership tonight? That will say that I'm not just going to come to service. I'm not going to come and I'm not going to go through the routines. I'm not going to leave and just live my life outside of this place. But the church is going to become the core, focal, center point of my life. Come on, anybody love the church? Anybody want to? Anybody want the church to be the best that it can be? Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. I love the church. I need the church. I can't make it without the church. I can't survive without the church. Come on, it's your church. It's my church.